Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks for being here this week. This week, I'm interviewing Verity Crawley. Now, I'm going to talk to her about exactly why I interviewed her. But, of course, you guys already know, I like to talk to people with interesting professions. We've talked to people from from all walks of life doing some really amazing things. But with with her, I, I've spent a lot of, of different years flipping through ESPN on a random Saturday afternoon, random Sunday afternoon, and seeing bowling, you know, professional bowling and and always kind of be being captivated by it and and just the you know the skill that goes behind bowling. You know, I grew up bowling just for for fun, going there on a Friday night with friends and you know getting concessions and you know throwing a ball around where you know there's people who have made this a, a profession and are you know just at the the absolute top level. You know, forget uh, you know, forget ever gutter balls. They're they're kind of upset when they're not getting all of the pins. So, I want to talk to somebody who has made that a profession. And in looking at that, I I've always looked at bowling as kind of uh, you know I I tell her too, but I've I've seen some of the same you know men doing doing it for you know twenty plus years and people that look like they're probably in their 40s or 50s that are at the top of their game. So when I was watching this particular day and saw a, a woman bowling on the, the women's tour, winning it, being younger and from the United Kingdom, I thought this is a, a really cool person. I'm sure she has a really interesting story. So I, I reached out to her. That's Verity Crawley. And she was uh, nice enough to to talk to me, and she wound up having a really really cool story about being the first person from the United Kingdom, uh, the first female to win a a tournament um, just very recently. So that's just such a cool thing. She's going to tell us a lot about the life of a professional bowler, the women's tournaments, um, how to improve your bowling game. I think that's a a big thing, just a few basic tips on on how to bowl just a little bit better. But uh, you know, as a whole, forget just the the bowling aspect. Just doing a profession that is very different than a a typical nine to five job, uh, being that that professional bowler. So, an amazing conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, here is my interview with Verity Crawley. I am here today with Verity Crawley. Verity, how are you? Hello, I am very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I feel like, you know, we talked before we started, Verity, and I feel like I already lost it. I already went with the D with this American accent, but Verity Crawley. It's all, it's all good. I'm used to hearing it. Sometimes I actually get called Dorothy because when I speak on the phone, <laughs> apparently when I say Verity, that is the closest name uh, Dorothy is the closest name that people think of because Verity is obviously not a very common name. Is it a common name, you know, back uh, where you're from? Not really, no. Um, when I was growing up, I used to know one other person called Verity, but very uncommon. I think now you start to hear it a little bit oft- more often, but it's always a surprise when you hear the name. I'm like, oh, that's my name. 
Yeah, no, I get that. Jackson is, is more common now. I see it a lot, but when I was growing up, you know, 30 years ago, I, uh, I, I never heard it. So it was a, it was very unique. So I grew up with a unique name that's, that's now, I feel like two or three years ago was like the, the top male baby name. So I, I don't really hold that anymore, but yeah. And I can't even, we were talking about people not being able to say your name, Vera D instead of Vera T, but I don't even say my own name correctly. If we're, we're getting into it, it should be Jack's son. I feel like you, you proper, um, you know, English people would be saying Jack's son and everyone. And I even say Jackson. We just kind of, we messed I up. I would the, say Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. And that's, and that's Jackson. obviously how it's spelled. That's how it should be, but <laughs> enough about names. So we've, we've obviously got you on today. Um, you know, I like to, to talk to people who are, are doing some, some interesting things and, and maybe have a profession that a lot of people don't know a lot about. We have you because you're a professional bowler which, it, you know, my experience, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that will rag on this, and maybe you will too, but my experience with professional bowling is normally, you know, flipping through the channels, going on ESPN, not expecting that to be on on a Sunday afternoon or something, and, and then starting to, starting to watch it. So I, I'm really interested just to hear of the, the life of a professional bowler. But before we get to that, let's just talk a little bit about um, you know, your, yourself growing up, we already kind of talked about, you know, an accent. I don't think, you know, with, with, with this being all audio, it's not going to be any surprise that you're, you're not necessarily from, from my, my next door. So tell us just a little bit about growing up and where you're from. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Bournemouth, England, which is on the South coast of the UK. It's about two hours South of London. Um, and I started bowling when I was five. So a very young age to get into a sport. But obviously, at that age, you try everything. You know, I tried bowling, I tried gymnastics, I tried swimming. And it was just something that I absolutely loved to do. I joined a youth bowling club. And I used to bowl every Saturday morning with my brother, um, and a, a really big group of kids. And we just used to bowl. And I, I absolutely loved it. And it really progressed from there. Um, I never envisioned myself taking it to the professional level. And I do have to say that back then when I was younger, I didn't really know that professional bowling was a thing. And that's something that now as a professional bowler, I'm obviously trying to change because if I was a bowler and I didn't know that professional bowling was that huge, then how can you expect a non-bowler to really know that, right? So that's one thing that I'm very, you know, admirate about now is that I want to spread the word about bowling and, you know, allow people to understand that there is a whole different side of bowling that most people have no clue about. Just like you said, you turn on the TV and it's on and it's, it's a surprise that it's on, but you kept watching, right? So sure. it's just about getting that awareness out there so that more people can start to not only watch bowling, but just be more aware that it is a sport. Um, so yeah, I just, growing up, I, I competed all over the UK. Um, I, there was a junior tour and we used to have tournaments all around the UK. Um, I was also part of a training squad. So each month I would meet up with uh, a group of players that were invited to this training squad. And we used to train together, bowl together. We had, you know, an exam at the beginning of the year, halfway through the year, at the end of the year. And I think that that obviously started to form a lot of my learning. Um, I had access to some very good coaches, which I definitely think was very beneficial to my bowling career without them, you know, who knows where I would be now. But 
I did compete for Team England, um, the youth team when I was younger. And how I ended up moving to the US was I bowled an event in Denmark. It was a European Youth Championships. And they happened to have quite a few collegiate coaches from the US. Um, they had some at the event and then others were kind of just tracking the scores online. So I actually ended up being recruited to go to a university in America. And it wasn't my original plan. I had a degree set to study for three years at Winchester University, which is in the UK. And I, I wasn't necessarily set on it, but I was planned. You know, I was going and then everything kind of got tipped upside down and I ended up coming to the US and I was in Florida for four years at Weber International University, um, which is in central Florida, about an hour south of Orlando. If we, and I want to kind of get into, you know, how bowling is, is worldwide, but before we get to that, so you, you said that you started bowling when you were five and you tried all kinds of different things. What, what do you think created your passion to, to stick with bowling and not, you know, we're, we're not talking to you as a, or, you know, a gymnast, we're talking to you as a bowler. So was it because you just were naturally gifted, you weren't very good at it and you just kept working at it or what, what caused you to continue with that? I think I definitely had some natural talent. And I think because I had very good coaches, it allowed me to progress. But the biggest thing for me was I just enjoyed the thrill of competing, right? So when I was younger, I swimming, gymnastics and bowling were my main three sports. It got to the point where swimming, I never really took very far. I did all of the levels that I could. I, I bowled, I bowled well. I swam for my primary school, um, which is kind of like kindergarten um, before high school. So I swam for them. And then it was really between bowling and gymnastics. And the biggest thing for me was that I loved competing with bowling. And I absolutely hated competing in gymnastics. Mm. Same thing with dancing. That was another, another one that I tried out. And I just hated the competition side of things with those sports. But I felt like in bowling, I just thrived. You know, I had so much excitement to be there. Even if I bowled bad, I was still so happy that I was bowling. And I think that's what really attracted me and kept me going in the sport. And I wanted to continue working on my game so that I could obviously perform better at those tournaments. I had a lot of bad tournaments, you know, and I definitely as a junior bowler didn't perform at the highest level. I felt like I always walked away from the events very disappointed. But I think that's what really drove me to keep working. And looking back on it now, if I'd have performed better you know if I'd have won a couple of events here and there instead of just missing the cut or instead of finishing second I might not have put all in might not have put as much work in as I did so in hindsight I think that those losses were actually more beneficial to my game to allow me to get to where I am now no I've and I've I've heard that a lot from from you know professional athletes that they weren't always the, the best and they had to work at it. And that what created that worth ethic. And the, you know, the people in high school that were the, you know, the superstars of the, the high school baseball team, some of them, you know, continue on, but some of them, you know, once they actually have to put in, you know, more work, they were so used to just using that natural talent that they kind of just flame out. So I, I've, I've heard that and I kind of understand that for sure. Yeah. So yeah, so, definitely. And it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one because some people still put in the work and they don't get anywhere. It's, um, it's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, the experience as, you know, a, a, an American kid growing up, I think most, most kids went with their family and, you know, went for bowling on Friday night and had their pizza or whatever. And, 
And uh, it's always kind of been a more of, I guess, a, a fun activity or a pastime and people don't necessarily look at it as a sport, um, which obviously it is. So my question is, what does bowling look like, you know, around the world? I, I, obviously you can speak on a lo- way better than I can, but maybe, you know, you know a lot about the UK, but two things. One is bowling popular around the world. Two is the United States, the, the, I, I guess the PBA tournament or PBA tour, is it the top bowling tour in the world um and i I guess it's just i i wonder about the the stature of bowling worldwide so it's actually huge worldwide and i would say that the us is certainly bigger than the uk which is why i find myself still here because there are so many more opportunities to compete in the us than there are back home in the uk now if you look to europe you have places like sweden who have bowling schools Um, And then, you know, they compete a lot as a national team and they travel to European and world events as a team. And then if you go to Asia and you look at Singapore and different areas over there, it is absolutely huge. You know, Singapore and Malaysia, they bowl for a living, but they compete with one another and they're very focused on the, the team aspect of bowling. And it's very much their training together as a national team to win medals for their country. Now, I think that shows how supportive the country is of the sport versus, let's say, in the UK, you don't have as much re- like recognition from the country. The country doesn't take bowling seriously. Whereas in Asia, I think bowling is really seen as a sport there. And, you know, those athletes are paid to bowl. They win a medal and they are they are paid. So I definitely think that bowling is a worldwide sport. Um, in the US, we do have the professional tour. So there's a men's professional tour, the PBA, and there's a women's professional tour, the PWBA. So in that aspect, obviously, you will find a lot of international players will come over to the US to compete because that's where a lot of the larger tournaments tend to be. You know, I want to kind of step back to the very, very basics I was speaking with somebody who was a bobsledder and I thought, Hey, we've got to talk about exactly what bobsledding is because people don't even know what that is. I assume most people know what bowling is, but just in case for that 1% that don't describe exactly what bowling is as a sport to the basic level. To the basic level, you have 10 pins at the end of a 60 foot lane. That lane has oil on it, which actually a lot of people don't realize Um, that's the reason that if you go to the bowling center, you will see a black line and there's normally a sign that says do not cross. And the reason for that is because there is oil on the lane. Um, and you throw, you throw a bowling ball at those pins and the aim is to knock them all over. Now, every bowling ball is of different weight. So I throw 15 pounds, um, 16 pounds tends to be the maximum that anyone would throw. Um, obviously when you start out as a youngster you you kind of grow up through the different weights in terms of what you can handle and as a bowler myself I have my own bowling balls so I don't use the balls that you would see in your local bowling center I have my own bowling balls that are actually drilled to fit my hand so the fingers and thumb holes are drilled to actually mold to my hand versus when you go to your local bowling center you kind of just pick small medium or large well, I appreciate you just breaking it down. I'm sure, you know, if I was talking to LeBron James and asking what basketball was, he would have shut it off. So I appreciate that you, <laughs> that you went back to the, the basics for me, but, but yeah, I, as far as, you know, the, 
it being oiled. I think you figure that out real quick as, as a kid and accidentally stepping on it and like falling it's, it's slick. So yeah, I, I figured there was something on there, but, but yeah. Um, that- now the thing that just going quickly, I'll dive into the oil. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is that the oil is put on the lane in different ways, depending on the situation. So when I go to tournaments, when I go event to event, the oil is not going to be the same. So the oil can be put on the lane at a different length. Um, at So the distance changes and the volume can change. And then when you start to get into the really details, there's obviously so many aspects that can alter with that oil. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, well, it's just going to be the same, you know, at every bowling center whenever you go to bowl. But that does change and that alters the ball reaction. And that's where things start to get a little bit technical and where I think the sport side really comes into play because you can't just throw the ball in the same place every single time and you can't always use the same bowling ball. So that's where you have to look at your environment a bit like if you're on a golf course and you're going to use different clubs for different scenarios, similar aspect with bowling and the lane pattern. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So do they tell you, you know, before the tournament exactly what the oil structure is on that lane? Because I mean, again, going back to basketball, no matter where you go, the, you know, the hoop is at the, the, same, the same distance from the ground. So I feel like that would change everything if, if it's not, you know, the, what you're used to. So how do, you, how do you prepare for that? Just practice or they tell you exactly what it is going to be? So sometimes we will be told there is what's called a lane graph and it will be a, a printout of what the lane looks like with oil on it. And it gives you all of the data in terms of, okay, what, how much oil is on the lane? Where is the oil placed on the lane? But there will be some tournaments where that information is not disclosed. And as a bowler, you have to figure it out by yourself. Um, which is where in practice, obviously you have to kind of learn to watch your bowling ball and, and figure out, what it does based on what you're bowling on. Gotcha. So one more me- kind of mechanics part of it. Why is it that, you know, when you professional bowlers, there's, there's such that curve rather than just throwing it straight down the lane. Every, every good bowler, you can kind of tell a good bowler by, you know, a curve on, on the lane rather than just straight down. Now, the main reason for that is the entry angle. So when the ball is entering the pins, there is an ideal angle that you want that ball to enter in order to get the perfect strike. So that is why most bowlers tend to hook it, because in by creating that hook, you are able to create the perfect entry angle versus just throwing the ball straight at the pins. Gotcha. So tell us, you, you talked about going to, I think you said Weber International, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So tell us, you know, from, from bowling at the collegiate level to changing to the professional level, how exactly did did that happen and how does that work? So I bowled at Weber for four years and after I graduated, um, the women's tour was around. So the women's tour actually folded for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. When I started bowling in college, there was no women's tour. So When you think about the amount of people there are that bowl in college, there's obviously so many females and a lot of them after they graduated, they didn't have the opportunity to go on to the women's tour because it wasn't there anymore. Whereas when I graduated, it was available. So it was kind of that thought process of, do I want to go pro or what do I kind of, what's my life saying? What do I want to do here? Now, obviously being in the US, you have to have a visa in order to be in the country. So after I graduated, I took the availability of being able to get a work visa um, that kind of 
coincides with graduation and I was able to know that I would be able to get a visa for a year but I would have to work in my field so what I actually ended up doing was for a year I worked as a paralegal at a law firm and I bowled as an amateur so I went to three or four professional events but I was bowling as an amateur so you are able to do that but you're limited to the amount of events that you could bowl and make the cut and cash in so I did that and I had a lot of success on that tour and I really enjoyed it so what I then decided was okay I I really want to do this at the professional level it did work out that that visa was only for a year so I then had to make the decision of okay in order to stay do I want to live in the U.S. and try this pro tour what do I kind of want to do so I made the decision to get an athlete visa but it was tied to a university and I was going to be coaching so I was going to do both the women's tour, which at that time only ran for about three and a half months during the summer. And then for the rest of the year, I was going to be an assistant men's and women's bowling coach at Savannah College of Art and Design. So that was kind of the journey that I took. I graduated, I worked for a year, and then I did carry on working, but I changed from being at the law firm to being a collegiate coach and kind of going back into the realm of collegiate bowling, but as a coach, um, not as a player. And I was able to have a perfect schedule in that aspect to where I would collegiate coach for, you know, nine months out of the year. And then for the rest of the, those months, I would bowl on the professional tour. And as of right now, I'm actually not coaching at that university anymore. I did decide that I wanted to bowl full time as a professional bowler. So I want to be able to go to those world events, um, go to Japan and, you know, Europe and be able to bowl everything throughout the year versus just having those you know three and a half months during the summer on the women's professional tour do you just do you do the three months here in the United States with the women's professional tour and then go overseas and do like a different tour in in Europe or in Asia or or how does that work or is it kind of one-off tournaments Yeah, so it really just depends on scheduling. Um, Obviously, there is a European tour and those events are sporadic throughout the year. And then you will also find some events um, in Asia, but there's not a specific schedule to say, oh, you're going to be here this month of the year. But the women's tour is, is set for the summer. We might have some events in January or some events in October. So it's really just I schedule everything around the women's tour um, and then just really depends what events are available um, at that time. Obviously, this year is a little bit different because of COVID and a lot of events were cancelled. So there has been a lot less traveling internationally. But thankfully, the PWBA tour has been running this year. So I've still been able to compete in the US. How how do you like being in the US? What's your experience there? You're talking about you're working in, in Savannah. Um, that, that's a very interesting place. I don't exactly know what it's like where you come from, but Savannah is definitely different than, than what I'm used to here in Indianapolis. So, uh, just kind of speak to your experiences. Uh, I guess, at least you said, you said in college, so at least four years there, I don't know how many years past that you are, but you've definitely, uh, got some experience as a, as a American at this point. <laughs> yeah, so I graduated in 2016. Um, I was in Florida, in Lake Wales, which is, like I said, about an hour south of Orlando. And I was there for quite a few years before moving to Savannah. And I really enjoyed Savannah as a place because it did remind me a lot of Europe. 
Um, it has old cobbled streets and just the vibe is very different there to than it was in Florida. So I really enjoyed it as a place. I think they had some history and the downtown area was very nice. Um, I'm actually back in Florida now and I'm back to the same area that I was in when I studied at university because at Weber International, we had the opportunity to train at the Kegel Training Center. And that is the best training center in the world for bowling. So when I made the decision that I wanted to bowl full time, it was kind of a no brainer to be living where I have the access to the best training center. So for me, I think that's the best thing about the US is just the access that I have to be able to train. Um, the bowling obviously is huge. And to me, that's what I love the most about the US. Um, as a country, I don't dislike it, but I do prefer the culture in England. Um, but that's obviously probably because I was born and raised there. And there's just so many things there that I miss that don't really exist here. No, I, I get that. I get that for sure. So this is almost an impossible question, um, given, you know, that we're probably most people are listening to this without any visuals, but tell us just the average person We're we're obviously bowling, you know, 70, a hundred, something like that. What, what's some, just some quick little tips for, for somebody to maybe, maybe bowl just a little bit better. So the first thing, and this is something that I notice in a lot of bowlers that have never really picked up a bowling ball before is to make sure you use the right fingers. Okay. So a lot of people will put their index finger in, but you don't want to use the index finger. Okay. You're not using the index finger and the middle finger. You're using the middle finger and the ring finger. So that combined with your thumb. And another helpful tip can be to actually look at the arrows. So on the lane, there will be arrows and that can help you guide where you want your ball to go. So I would, I would start with those two very basic tips. Um, but I think that there, those ones are very important. I got you. Well, as embarrassing as it is to, admit i just now figured out how to to even bowl overhand every other time i would just bowl underhanded which i'm sure is not not exactly what you're going for <laughs> yeah no that's that's definitely not what you want to do you want to be you want to keep your hand under the ball yeah yeah and i real and i kind of watching some of your your technique videos i realize it's a lot like what they teach you in baseball and golf. And it's a, it, it seems like there's a huge follow through, even that you're kind of like dangling your arm afterwards, mm -hmm. um, just following through completely, not just when you release a lot of people that, and that's what I've realized you know, in, in a lot of other sports where, you know, once they hit the ball, whether it's golf or baseball or anything else, then they just kind of stop their motion and that throws everything off. Yeah, I think you have to think about the fact you're throwing, you know, I'm throwing a 15 pound bowling ball down the lane. So there is just so much leverage that goes into that. And obviously so much power that you need that. It's not necessarily an exaggeration, but it's just a continuation of the swing. And with bowling, it's really important to let gravity take the ball because it's so hard to control such a heavy weight. You know, you're throwing that or swinging that over and over again. So you actually want to be as free as possible. And that's, you know, the follow through results in that. Yeah. So getting on the tour, you, know, you talked about exactly how you did it, but obviously not everybody can, can join the tour. So was there a tryout? Was there just, you know, you did so many amateur tournaments and won them or how exactly does that work? Because it's not like a team that drafts no, you. So it's, 
Right. It's actually a quite simple. Um, you are required to have a certain average in order to join, but it's more of just a membership that you are able to sign up for online, which sounds crazy and makes it sound obviously not that big of a deal, but you're, you're required to have an average. And then, yeah, it's kind of your decision as to whether or not you're going to do it. And then obviously we have a certain amount of events throughout the year to compete in. Yeah. So what what is that average? What's around the average? So I think the required average in order to become professional is actually 190. But you will find that the average is going to be a lot higher of the ladies that do compete on tour. The hard thing about us as professionals is because we bowl on different oil patterns and our oil patterns change week to week, we don't necessarily have a set average. So if you were to bowl league and you were to bowl, you know, three games every week, you would create an average. But as a professional bowler, we tend to compete in so many events um, that we might have a, a running average from those events, but it's a little bit different than if you were to bowl in a league. If I was to bowl in a league, my average would be a lot higher than what it is when I'm competing week in and week out on different conditions. So this is uh, another kind of this question to, and I, just because I'm completely naive about it, but I feel like with bowling, and again, it's because I know nothing about it, but I feel like with bowling, there's not a huge you know, difference on who is throwing the ball. So why is it that male and female are separate? Is, is the average very, you know, very different? Is, is it possible to, to compete on the, the PBA tour? Yes. So the women are able to bowl on the men's tour, um, whereas the men aren't able to bowl on the women's tour. So a lot of people will say that, you know, the men's averages do, do tend to be higher. They do tend to create more power, more speed, more revolutions on the bowling ball. And some would say that is an advantage. Um, but I like to think that I can compete against the men and I do compete against the men. So it's just that the women do have their own separate tour. So what's, what's the longevity of a professional bowler? I've noticed, you know, some of these, some of the, I, not, I, I haven't seen a, a ton of women's bowling. It's probably because it was not, uh, not happening for a while, but I've noticed some of the men that are on the tour. I feel like I've seen them since, I was a kid, so they've been around for a good little while. Definitely. I think that's one of the great things about bowling is there's no end date. You know, you can bowl from age five to age 85, and there is actually a senior men's tour. So there's a PBA senior to where a lot of people will finish the main national PBA tour and they'll move on as a senior and compete in events. So I would say there's there's not really any age limit to it as long as your body can still handle doing the sport. And I think that's why being an athlete and making sure that you are fit enables you to be able to, you know, get that longevity and compete for a long time. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, you, that you mentioned athletes. So tell us just a little bit other than, you know, practicing, throwing the the ball down the lane, what, what other training goes into to being physically fit to, to, to bowl? A lot of work in the gym. And that's something that a lot, a lot of people probably don't realize because, you know, anyone can go bowling and they can throw a ball down the lane and do it. But there's a difference between doing that for a couple of games and being able to bowl 16 games each day. So that endurance is obviously a little bit different. And I think that's where, you know, the leg strength and the core strength really dominates in bowling and allows us to be able to compete week in and week out bowling a ridiculous amount of games. So there is a lot of training in the gym and then bowling is also 
it's a very mental sport, right? Because anyone can have a good physical game. Anyone can throw the ball down the lane. But if you don't have that confidence and self-belief in yourself, and if you have a lot of negative self-talk, then, you know, you can completely talk yourself out of it. So similar with any other sports, like I'm sure if, if you're playing tennis and you tell yourself that you're going to miss the ball, then you're probably going to miss the ball. So same thing with bowling. And it takes time to be able to train your mental game. You have to work on different skills that you're going to use in competition but you have to work on those in practice. You can't just rock up to the tournament and decide that you're going to breathe different or think different thoughts. It has to be something that you actually work on off the lanes um, in practice. Yeah. And I think that's important to kind of talk about the, the behind the scenes and the training that goes into it because yeah, anyone, anyone can go and, and throw the ball down the lane, but in my own experience, if I bowl, you know, more than two games, I'm a noodle arm the next day. My arm is hurting, so I can't imagine doing 16 games. That takes some some endurance and some training for sure. Exactly, and that's why fitness becomes so important because the, the days can be long. You know, you bowl from 8 a.m. in the morning to 10 p.m. in the evening, and then you have to get up the next day and do it all over again. So going on these tournaments in, the, in this tour – two things one how is how is the locations determined do they do you go to the same like invitationals every year i feel like there used to be one in indianapolis you can let me know if that's the case or not and then two sometimes i see like spectators i don't know if that's just family or is there actually spectators watching you uh, compete so Spectators are allowed events. Um, we did have a few events in 2021 that because of COVID, we weren't allowed spectators. But in a normal situation, and actually right now, spectators are allowed at the event. So anyone can go and watch a PWBA or a PBA event. And the locations do change. So we travel all around the US. And there's no each year, the schedule will be a little bit different in terms of which locations we go to. And I think the greatest thing about that is that the whole of the US is able to see women's bowling and the same with the men by going to different bowling centers, you get to meet different people and a vast variety or so many different people are able each year to go and watch professional events because obviously we travel around so much. So what's the, what's the professional bowling community like? Is it a, is it a close knit group that you guys are all hanging out in all these different cities or is it kind of just a, you go do your thing and, and separate or is it a, is it a close community? Yeah, definitely. I think the bowling world is very special in that aspect to where most people do tend to get along with one another. You make friends along the way. Um, and you will find that a lot of the professionals will travel with one another. So you might have a group of, you know, three or four of you that tend to travel together. The guys do tend to drive to a lot of tournaments. Their tournaments seem to be a little bit closer to one another. Whereas on the girl side, um, we do tend to fly to most events. But you will find that, you know, you have little groups of people that kind of travel together and go out to eat together. And it, it's definitely a special community, that's for sure. And you mentioned that it's your, your full-time role. Um, obviously, you know, you very recently was kind of, was at the, the top of the, the women's bowling world winning a tournament. So I understand that, you know, when, when you win, that certainly helps when it comes to, to prize money and stuff, but let's say the mid mid road professional bowler, whether it's men's or women's, is it something, you know, is, is there enough money in it that they can be a full-time 
professional bowler or is it something that they, a lot of them have second jobs? It is really, really hard. I think on the women's tour, you are more likely to find people who have second jobs because of the fact that it is only about three and a half to four months. So Mm -hmm. if you think you might be making money throughout that time, but then what are you going to do for the rest of the year? Whereas on the guy side, you'll find more bowlers that do it full time for a living and they are able to do that. But it really just kind of depends on your own situation. Obviously, if you have uh, if you're married and you have kids at home, then I would say that it's a little bit harder to be able to support all of your family off what we earn bowling. There is definitely not as much money in the sport of bowling as there would be if I was a professional tennis player or a professional golf player. So main reason for me being professional right now is because I don't have as many responsibilities, as many bills or, you know, family to really take care of to where I'm able to do it full time and I'm able to survive. And tell us just a little bit about one, the two, two ways I found you. One was because of your, your win recently. Two was seeing some of your media coverage while COVID was going on and the bowling alleys were shut down. Tell us just a little bit about practicing um, and, and keeping your game sharp during COVID. And I believe a lot of it was done in the hallways of your parents' home. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a difficult time. Um, I was in Florida at first when COVID kind of first came to the world and we were locked down for a few months. And during that time, we had no idea when things were going to open back up. I was still expecting to be able to compete. So I thought that I needed to do everything I could at home to prepare myself for when tournaments would start again. So I set up a little area um, at home to bowl and then things opened back up and it was all great. I was able to get to the bowling center. But at the beginning of the year, the visa that I had applied for was actually denied, which meant I had to go back to the UK. Now, this was the middle of January. And at that point, the UK was still in a lockdown. Everything was shut apart from Um, supermarkets and some takeaway food restaurants and coffee shops so I had nearly three months back home in the UK not knowing when I was actually going to be able to come back to the US so in order to be ready for when I could eventually get back I did set up I had a, a big fluffy blanket and pillows and just a some form of setup so that I could still release the bowling ball now it, de- it was far from ideal. All I could do is is roll the ball. I couldn't, you know, take any steps because I didn't have enough room for that. So I would every now and then take some steps outside and just swing the bowling ball. And I had to, I had to do something to get my hand used to being in that bowling ball again. And I did eventually figure out that I was able to going, I was going to be able to come back to the US um, at, right at the end of March. And my professional event started at the end of April. So I had three weeks when I got back to the US to be on the lanes before going to my first professional event. So obviously, it was nerve wracking, because I'm thinking, wow, I've only got three weeks to prepare. I've just had nearly three months of not actually bowling. But I do think that that bowling at home and probably the mental training and the fitness side of things really allowed me to stay in shape to where those three weeks I was actually surprised at how good it felt and I've had a very successful season Um, like you said I I did win um, this year and the season's not over just yet so I think that even though I had those three months off you kind of have to look at the years of preparation that I have put in leading up to this. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come back with some time to spare. I would have hated for you to ask your parents to oil the kitchen floor or something. So that's <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. So I, I want to get to your, your win here in just a second. But another question I've, I've realized that I have about bowling is wh- why is it that with bowling, you have to wear a, a, a specific shoe? I feel like it's just a wood floor in that area. So why do you have to wear a bowling shoe? So the biggest reason for that is obviously when you go to different bowling centers, you don't know how that approach is going to feel. You might be bowling on wood, you might be bowling on plastic, but you don't know what the approaches are going to be like. So with the specific bowling shoes, the high performance bowling shoes on the bottom of them, whichever foot you slide with, which for me is my left foot on the bottom of that shoe, there is a sole and a heel that is removable. So if I go to a bowling center that is very tacky, I am able to change that sole and heel to where I can still slide on the approach. And the the biggest reason for those shoes is so that you can slide. If you were just to wear your regular trainers or sneakers, let's say, then you wouldn't be able to slide on the approach. And that's a huge part of my bowling game. And a lot of people's bowling game is to be able to slide at the end, which is why we wear bowling shoes. Yeah. I feel like most most people that are there bowling, they, they don't know the first thing about sliding. The people that are actually, you know, doing the sliding probably brought their own shoes, but they're just hoping, I guess, that people are a little bit better than they are, I guess. <laughs> well, and I mean, obviously, a lot of bowling centers have house shoes to where, you know, you go and you, you bowl a couple of games and you rent the shoes. And now you can slide in those because they have I want to say it's probably some form of felt on the bottom that will allow you to slide. But as someone who is not used to bowling, obviously it's a scary thought to think, Oh, well, how am I going to slide on the approach? You would expect yourself to fall. Right. Right. So tell us now about the, the win, because obviously it's a huge accomplishment just personally, you know, as a professional bowler. But if I was reading correctly, I think it's more than just that you were the first female UK um, professional bowler to win a tournament, correct? Yes, definitely. So I'm actually, right now, I'm the only female professional bowler from the UK. We have a couple of guys that are professional, but I'm the first female. So it's also obviously such a huge thing to now be able to say that I have won a professional title. Um, And again, I'm, I'm the only female to have done that. I think If the women's tour had been around, you know, this whole time, if it hadn't have collapsed for a few years, then that might be a different situation. You might have got some from the UK that would come over and they might have been able to compete. But obviously, that's not what happened. So right now I am the only one. Um, So, yeah, it's huge to be able to say that I'm the only professional bowler from the female from the UK. And I also have won a professional title. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations. How does it feel exactly to, you know, not only to have have won because I I'm sure, you know, all these years that you've been competing, that's, that's the dream. So tell us a little bit about that, that feeling. And then also you, you, you talked just about your, your pride in, in being uh, from the UK. So being able to, to hold that distinction of being the, the first one and, and kind of have that representation for your country. Yeah, definitely. It's really special. I mean, I'm so proud of where I'm from and I I love the UK. I love being able to represent the UK. So to be able to take that home and think that, you know, the reason that I have that trophy is because I started bowling in the UK. If I'd have not started bowling um, and, you know, I was back home at that time, if I hadn't started, then that wouldn't have happened. So, of course, in that aspect, um, it is definitely really special and and a great achievement. And I think that 
it's one of those when I won, it was kind of that shock of, wow, is this real? It's something that I have visualized for a long time. Part of my mental training is to see myself winning. And I think that when I won, I was kind of thinking, okay, is this me visualizing or is this real life right now? And Mm. this year I've been very focused on the process instead of the results. So as much as I know my end goal is to win, I haven't been focused on needing to win. You know, I don't want to walk away from each event being disappointed because I didn't win. It's more about the process and my journey than it is so focused on that win. And I think that really actually helped me walk away with the win because I wasn't searching for it as much. Hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So in kind of wrapping, wrapping things up, I want to kind of talk about your, your social media connection points. I did notice that you have a YouTube channel the kind of a lot of different things to teaching people some bowling techniques, some, some maybe some vlog type things. So tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel, why people should watch that and any other connection points that you want to want to shout out. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really all over social media. I would say that I'm probably more active on Instagram and Facebook than I am on YouTube right now. Um, YouTube was a place for me to do some vlogs and also I do post some bowling related content on there whether it is tips for your game or about bowling balls and um, we have a large range of bowling balls in the bowling industry so it was kind of recommendations for people um, but in terms of just regular social media Instagram is probably where I tend to be at the most um, so yeah go ahead and, and check me out there and give me a follow if you like my content. Yeah. So, so tell us, tell us how we can, how we can find it. What's, is it just your name or or what? Yeah. So um, all of my social media is literally just Verity Crawley. Um, You can Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Reddit, everything is, is just my name. So quite, quite straightforward. Yeah. You, we talked about being, uh, having unique names. That's, that's one of the, the pluses. You don't have to fight anyone for, for your, your social media handles. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. It makes it easy. For sure. Well, I'll tell you, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, I, I didn't come in knowing much about bowling other than, like I said, watching, you know, watching it kind of by surprise and then, you know, just bowling for fun, you know, with, with friends and stuff like that. So it's been a, a really cool, uh, cool conversation to, to learn a lot more. Well, I hope that now you can go to your local bowling center and have some fun. I think that this should, everyone who listens to this now needs to go bowling because why not? It's, it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was Verity Crawley, just a really cool person. I really appreciate her taking some time to, to walk us through her experiences as a professional bowler, her um, tips on, on how to bowl this a little bit better, some of the questions and getting so basic and admitting, you know, my bowling faults is, is uh, kind of uh, an embarrassing thing, but I, I think that it, it benefits all just to, to get to the basics and, and maybe just a little bit of razzing on me. I'm perfectly fine with that. But just a really, really awesome person. I wish her nothing but all the success in the world in, in future tournaments. I, I think she's destined for even more big things. She's already achieved so much, and I can't wait to see you know what else uh, what else the future has in store. But... I hope you enjoyed this as well. Do go check her out on all her social media platforms. Verity Crawley, her name, I'll put it in the show notes as well. 
but she's got uh, you know a lot of great content on on Instagram. She's got some some great uh, content on YouTube on how to how to bowl better if you want to go into even more depth. But hope you enjoyed whether you you know you are a big bowler and 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 love that or whether you've never bowled or don't even know what bowling is. Just somebody at the top of their game doing an, a very different kind of profession. Uh, I think is is interesting for all. So hope you think so too. Check her out. Like I said, as always, check us out. Comment, um, you know, like, subscribe, all those great things. Obviously, if you have Apple Podcasts, that's always kind of the the king of podcasts. So subscribe there, rate, comment about uh, exactly what you think of the the podcast. That's greatly appreciated. On Instagram, not in the huff podcast jacksnap.com we're everywhere and we always appreciate you uh you joining along uh, the the uh the podcast family just a little bit more but uh we'll see you next time and take it away chris this has been not in a huff with jackson huff thank you for listening be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or hey Maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.